Hey, fuck faces, you fucking pieces of shit, slime ball motherfuckers. If you're tuning in today to this episode of Anonymous Investors Podcast, you are a fuckhead. You better listen to the whole entire episode and make sure you like and subscribe to this podcast. And, you know, I just called you a fuck face to piss you off because angry people increase retention rate. So fuck you, motherfuckers. And today we have Stonkman. To my left, and I am the almighty, all-powerful God, and you must do whatever the fuck I say. How are you doing today, Stonk Man? What up? I finally settled on a name. I think Stonk Man is uh, more than fine. Uh, I went through a lot of, um, you know, transitions. Uh, I, I was a V-them for a while. I was a he-she for a while. And I was an it for a while. Additionally, I was also an Apache attack helicopter for quite a bit. So it's great to find uh, some purpose in some place. As some of you have may noticed recently, I am now Stonk Man. Uh, so now you can confirm my gender. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't assume anybody's gender there, but, you know, I, I, I understand what you're trying to say there. But uh, what's going on, Stonk Man? Any news this past week that you, that, uh, you want to discuss today? Yeah, we got a lot to get into, and we'll get there shortly. Yo, bitch, motherfucker. What are you freestyling? <laughs> hey, hey, get six nine on ah, here. Fuck up, fucking put a drill right to your fucking head. I got a new soundboard, folks. We can listen to music. It's pretty cool. Motherfucker, pull up on your bitch, motherfucker. Pull out the Uzi. I start spraying, motherfucker. Hey. All right, that was awesome. Oh my god, dude. Speaking of shooting, right? Not actually shooting, but shooting, like shooting basketballs, right? The NBA. A lot of stuff going on with the NBA. The finals going on. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's the Boston Celtics and Golden State Warriors playing each other. And uh it's been quite a series. You know, as we're recording this, the whole series is going on. But more recently, there was this fucking headline. I'm on YouTube, right? I'm watching videos, I'm winding down, and I go to one of my favorite shows, the Pat McAfee show, and I see a clip come up, and it's like, what the fuck is this? And it, and it's titled something like, NBA ref admits to rigging games. And I'm like, okay, all right, folks. Is this the Tim Donahue clip? Is this like a throwback clip that they posted? No. Uh, so for those of you who aren't aware, the whole Tim Donahue thing is back in 2007, Tim Donahue was charged. And he was charged with, like, literally working with, like, criminal enterprise to rig the outcome of NBA games. Um, a lot of people look at that, like, I think it was the Lakers at King series that was, like, up in question. And, you know, there's a couple other different playoff series. But, like, basically, he admitted to, like, rigging games to cover spreads and to cover over-unders and whatever and all this other shit. But there was actually a ref... That is a legit ref that came out and he said that there's um selective calls going on and he's on video saying this. Um, and this season, you know, officiating has been really inconsistent. A lot of people have been, you know, complaining. And it was the instance um, where it was in game two of the NBA finals and Draymond Green 
and Jalen Brown kind of got into it. And this ref came out and he's a referee analyst and he, his name is Steve Javi. And he basically spoke about this incident and admitted that the refs bend the rules depending upon the circumstances of the game. So green already had a tech and another one would have gotten him ejected. So he made the point that with that information in mind, the refs chose to just let the situation play out, which is kind of dumb because if you give the guy a tech normally, right, then why wouldn't you give him one there? And it's just, it's just so silly. Right. And the whole league, like when you look at all these sports leagues, the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, I guess the MLS, which isn't really a fucking league in America, but whatever, I guess people watch it. Maybe it's on in like, you know, nursing homes or it's like a CNN situation where, you know, they pay to get the play in the airports and all that. <laughs> I don't know if you know about that, but that's a whole nother can of worms. But, um, you know, they got to go to game seven, right? Game seven of the World Series, game seven of the Stanley Cup, game seven of the NBA Finals. Like that's where they make the most revenue, right? Because they're able to sell more ad spots on television and sell more tickets and, you know, all this other jazz that comes with that. But here's what he was quoted with saying, and Twitter went nuts on this. The quote is, the two guys were going after each other. You have to consider one player has definitely a technical foul. Is it enough to call a double T and eject the one player? Personally, I would say nothing and just let it diffuse as that. And people went nuts. <laughs> so all ver you know, a couple of verified accounts responding. So Roosh on Twitter goes, Steve Javi is on live TV admitting that referees ignore the rule book to factor in ejecting Draymond. That is so damn ridiculous. Then we got Ben DuBose, who says Steve Javi, the NBA's lead officiating analyst, is openly suggesting on the league's official broadcast that the standard for a technical is different when a player has a technical in a big game. This is a remarkable example of saying the quiet part out loud. <laughs> so, I mean, all these people who get pissed about, you know, their team getting screwed in a big game or the team itself getting screwed in a big game, like, do they have valid points here? I mean, does the league have a, um, a duty to ensure that calls are made fairly and that there's uniform enforcing uh, of these calls in big games? Or is it like it's just entertainment and people need to fucking move on? Like, what do you think about this? Because I know you're a big NBA guy like me. Well, I mean, the NBA is it's a big franchise. They just recently had COVID and, you know, they, they shortened the season. They missed a lot of games. So... They want to like make sure they maximize their revenue this year and making sure serious go as long as possible. So that that has something to do with how games are called. If you know if a team's down two one, they don't want the team they don't want the series to go three one because then the series is going to be shorter. So they'll give more calls to the team that's down two one in the series so that the owners can make more revenue off of tickets and merchandise etc. in the um, stadium. In that regard, but yeah, I don't think people like fans show up. They don't want to see Draymond Green get thrown out. It makes the game more boring. So yeah, I think you you have to like look at the situation and when making calls, and you know you don't want to throw somebody out of the game for something like that in the NBA Finals because that's going to upset a lot of people, and you know it's going to cause less people to be NBA fans, and it's going to cause less revenue for the for the NBA as a whole entire league. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and if you look at the Warriors, right, like they're based out of the Bay, right, the Bay specifically, uh, you know, San Francisco, right? And I think they moved to Oakland or whatever, right? Or maybe, oh, no, they moved from Oakland to San Fran, right? That, that's what it was. But um, 
yeah, they have a lot of big tech companies up there, right? They've got a lot of tech guys going up there and God only knows how much money those guys make. And, you know, some of the positions they've got, some of those uh, software engineers and, you know, data analytics guys. Um, so I'm sure that they get a lot of money coming in from like Apple, Google, YouTube, you know, Netflix, whoever, right? Insert large tech company. Um, so it's just been crazy. But yeah, like, you know, I can imagine those ticket prices are pretty ridiculous, especially, I mean, the Celtics too, I mean, right? Like, you know, historic franchise, but the Warriors, like, they're making this run. Like they got everyone, everyone's kind of healthy finally again. And now they're making like a big push. But um, yeah, Apple, like Apple is just, you know, like in terms of a company, like what they've done, I mean, it just looks like they constantly innovate and they're always looking for ways to improve. Um, and I was seeing some ads from them and I know they had that big event, right? What was that big event that was going on where they were unveiling shit? Because I did see some ads from them in the finals, so that's why they're on my mind right now. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the event was called, and uh, yeah, I did hear they unveiled new uh, some new products, and they I know they unveiled uh, a buy now pay later. They're innovating in that sector. They they should have did this a long time ago, though. Like they have 200 billion in cash, they should be looking to move more into financial services and extending credit to their uh, customers. But yeah, they they launched this uh, buy now pay later, and on the news, you have all these uh, BNPL players like PayPal, Affirm, Klarna, uh, all these like uh, fintech startups that you know they dropped like twenty percent on this news because there's fear that this whatever two trillion two and a half trillion dollar company is going to take away market share share from these other players, and you already see there's like a lot of turmoil in this uh, sector of the market with. Klarna laying off 10% of their workforce. PayPal is starting to lay off some of their workforce. Affirm is, you know, that was $140 stock, stock $150, $160 stock not too long ago. Now it's under $20, I think. And, you know, Apple is just going to get go into that sector and take more and more uh, market share. You know, with this rising inflation and, you know, high interest rate environment, it's going to become increasingly competitive. And, you know, Apple is best positioned uh, with the amount of cash they have on their books to basically offer the most amount of credit at the cheapest rates uh, to their customers. And, you know, I think this is basically a uh, winner take all market. And I don't think a lot of these players like Affirm and Klarna are going to last in this uh, turmoil marketplace with, you know, they, they have high expenses. They're not even uh, free cash flow positive and, you know, I think they're in a lot of trouble. They're burning cash at rapid rates. So I think Apple is going to, you know, it's going to be a winner take all and Apple is going to dominate this uh, marketplace. And, you know, they, they should be extending credit. They should do this a long time ago because iPhones are expensive. It's going to provide, it's going to make their uh, devices cheaper. It's going to allow people to afford uh, these luxury goods that Apple provides. And it's going to overall drive uh, revenue and net income to their bottom line. Yeah, and the event that I was referring to was uh, WWDC. So that's the Worldwide Developers Conference that Apple holds, right? And it's usually in June um, whenever there's some big news going on. And they unveiled iOS 16, uh, new MacBook Airs and Pros, and it looks like Xcode Cloud. Um, and another thing, too, is I don't know if you saw this, but it was they also unveiled um, Apple's like new augmented reality um smart glasses too which is kind of like what the fuck <laughs> so that kind of it kind of reminded me of google glass a little bit in a way 
Um, but Google Glass was like so ahead of its fucking time that you know when that was rolled out, there there was like no demand for it because everyone was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> like that was like that's like a ten year old innovation, twelve year old innovation. So, but um, it looks pretty cool. Like I don't know, I think that iOS sixteen is dope. Um, they're also it also looks like they're doing a new um like carplay rollout which is so cool like i want to get carplay in my car but i have an older car so it's like tough to like add that shit in but all the newer cars have it it's so dope it's like literally the iphone like ios 15 layout and you can just switch between like ways and like your music and like calls and messages and whatever and it's like really cool i don't know i like how it looks but like a lot of companies have this like um the newer Lexuses have it. Uh, I think I saw like BMW has it, Mercedes. So CarPlay is dope. CarPlay is sick as fuck. But Apple, yeah, like they're just crushing it right now. And um, yeah, yeah, like another thing too is do you think that potentially that Apple or some of these other companies could like – well, we saw Ford, right? Like Ford opened that plant in Mexico, right? Like do you think that there are other companies that could like move shit particularly manufacturing out of the u.s now with like the whole economic situation kind of going upside down like we saw in the past or do you think it's going to be more of like manufacturing is going to stay here and they're going to kind of try to figure out a way to cut costs like we saw tesla cut 10 percent of its workforce i saw salesforce getting ready to cut people a um, couple other companies as well so like what do you think is going to happen from that like macroeconomic sort of like top-down view standpoint well, I, you know, I think people got to look towards the long term and, you know, they got to develop their supply chain in-house because we saw recently with COVID and, you know, these uh, how these ships got ex became like they went from 2000 to 20,000 and there was delays and everything like that. And I think, you know, in this very competitive marketplace, I don't think you can uh, last or exist without basically taking your full uh, supply chain and uh, linear linearly developing it in-house and, you know, having a a fully stacked supply chain management strategy going forward and, you know, implementing that because you're going to have a lot of troubles with delays of goods. And then, you know, the markets move fast. You can have excess inventory. Nobody's going to want that inventory. It's hard to predict how, what goods you need or, or what kind of inventory you need going forward. If uh, basically you have these long delays and you see that with target Walmart and all these places, how they have excess inventory now because they weren't able to accurately predict their demand because of these long uh, supply chain constraints. So, you know, I think a lot of companies are going to be uh, looking to develop these cross-functional teams and, you know, integrating their supply chains in-house uh, going forward. And if they don't do so, you know, they're, gonna, they're not going to last in this, in this market. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think the whole thing is about long longevity and, uh, or excuse me, longevity. I can't talk today. But, um, yeah, that's the whole thing is, like, you got to kind of keep everything in-house. Like, uh, if you're relying on, you know, people working outside or, like, in other countries, right, like in Ford's case with opening that plant in Mexico, like, now there's, you know, political risk, right? Like, what happens if the Mexican government, God forbid, gets overthrown or, like, they get co-opted or, um, you know, what if there's, like, <laughs> like i mean you're paying people in pesos i would imagine right like what if there's a currency crisis like there, there's so many other factors that are at play 
when you don't do things in-house and you just export or just transmit all of your manufacturing and production to other countries like Mexico in particular? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge, huge problem. And, you know, you have these like CFOs, they think they're, they're doing a good job because they're saving money over, over the uh, short term and not looking at the long-term implications of not taking their uh, supply chain in-house. They should spend the extra cash and make, and make themselves uh, a more sustainable uh, business and have a better environment. And, you know, be, that being said, right, just like supply chains, you know, they should be moving back to the America. You have these other people that are doing total opposite, these Californians. They're basically leaving the country from Mexico. Imagine that, uh, people leaving the country from Mexico, a to the total shithole country in Mexico. That, that shows how bad California is right now that people are leaving the country from Mexico. There's over 347,000 people, you know, that have moved uh, from California this past year alone. And, you know, they say around 20% 20, 20 of them are, have uh, left the country and they went to Mexico because of this high inflation rate environment. And, you know, that the houses are cheaper in Mexico and that people could live a better life. Imagine basically uh, a state that's gone so much in a shithole that they can leave a uh, that they can live a better life in Mexico. Drug drug infused drug infused and drug uh, with all the cartels and shit in Mexico. These people are moving there, and they, and it's better than California. A lot of corruption too, right? Like you mentioned, the numbers are somewhere in that three hundred thousand range. So you know, twenty percent. We're looking at what sixty thousand people that went to Mexico. That's a lot of fucking people, man. That's a lot. I know 60,000 people going to Mexico. And, you know, I I don't understand why uh, all these people are going to Mexico. I guess Joe Biden's strategy is basically, you know, to stop the illegal immigrants from coming across the border is, you know, just destroy the United States and then they won't they won't want to come across the border. We don't need to build a fence. We don't need to build a border. Just make the United States so bad that nobody wants to come here. And then that's how we get rid of the illegals. Imagine if Trump would have had a strategy like that. Well, it's funny. I don't know if you saw this, but like Greg Abbott, right? Texas has this huge problem now. They're having uh, major border security issues, right? People just fucking walking right in. Um, you know, border patrol being understaffed and not having enough people to, you know, go in and kind of rectify the situation. But Greg Abbott issued an order where border patrol, when they catch people on that southern border, um, you know, by uh, you know, the southern border between Texas and Mexico. Whenever they catch people, they load them onto a bus, and then they, they take the bus, they drive the bus all the way to D.C., and they just let the people out right by the Capitol building. <laughs> right in D.C., they just let them go. And and Greg Abbott was like, oh, if he doesn't want to do anything about the border, fuck him. We're going we're gonna to send all the illegals to D.C. He can take care of them then. Not my business. Fucking that's hysterical that that's going that's on. That's a great idea. I think yeah, he, yeah, he's been doing it. He's been doing it for like the last couple of months, and Biden's been kind of going back and forth with him, but he's not he's not stopping him from doing it. It's pretty funny. I don't think you can stop him from doing it. It's a it's a private enterprise. He's got his bus, takes his bus, and he rides it down. You can't you can't stop uh, interstate travel. That's right. He's like Drake with the bus. You know, instead of having the bus of like all the women or whatever going to the party, he's got the bus with all the illegal Mexicans going to fucking DC. Oh, it's just comedy. And I just laugh because it just like, oh my God, it, it just seems that uh, there's like a lot of weird shit going on with the country, like just wacky shit. Oh my God. People crack me up. The one gripe I have with that is I think he should have a uh, a train. It's faster.
Yeah, especially with the cost of gas being as high as it is, that's it seems kind of inefficient, right? To just drive around like that. I mean, you are getting rid of people who are going to draw into, you know, the welfare state and the system you created for taxpayers. Of course, they they would draw into that. Um, so I'm sure there is some savings there for the state of Texas. But yeah, I think that it is a little inefficient. The the price of gas is a little too high, and I think that uh, they've got to come up with a better way to transport people. I think a steam engine would probably be more economical. <laughs> or some some show like that, like a train, like a high speed train. Yeah, not a bad idea. Maybe a boring tunnel from Texas to Washington DC. You know. Yeah, well, California, know. California. You bring that up. California was building that fucking bullet train. Did you see this? They were building a bullet train, and Elon Musk was was like, "Oh, I'm gonna build the Hyperloop from Hawthorne to LA or something like that," right? And he picked Hawthorne in particular because that's where SpaceX is based out of. Uh, and then at that up, you know, up until recently, Tesla was based out of LA, I believe. So or it was something like that, whatever. One of the fucking places was in Hawthorne. One of them was in LA. So he was constantly flying and he also got pissed with the traffic, right? Because he was sitting in traffic to and from, you know, each respective airport. So the whole thing was that he was like, fuck it, we'll build a hyperloop, we'll build a tunnel. So he built the tunnel and then the state came to him and was like can you build one for you know wherever it was like la to san fran like they wanted to do this giant project right so he was like assisting with that but the state kind of wanted to build that out and they didn't want to let him build it out so they went like over budget to the point where they were spending it was some fucking crazy number like 10 million dollars for every mile and you know if you look at the size of california it's fucking massive right in terms of length so to go from the bay area all the way to la like at 10 million a mile like that shit was never getting completed so apparently they wasted like hundreds of millions of dollars and they didn't even complete the project and now they're just scrapping it after building out like i don't know like 10 or 12 miles so they basically just burned like 100 million for no reason pretty incredible the government that's not nothing new for the government to do they waste a lot of money there's a lot of corruption in the uh in ways in, in where the uh, government spends money i was reading like you know maybe about four five six months ago that they were spending uh 95 200 dollars on, on on per screw on some some kind of construction job which is physically impossible a screw costs about uh less than a penny you might in a package and they were spending 95 dollars for a screw well, the whole problem with that is that there's a lot of corruption in that state, too. I mean, they make a lot of money. If you separated California, right, as its own state and you looked at its GDP, I'm just going to look this up quick in the meantime. But California, in terms of uh, like GDP, if it was like a country, I think it, if it was a country, it would be the. Oh, here it is. I just found it. The economy of the state of California is the largest in the United States with a $3.4 trillion GDP, right? Like if you looked at it that way. So if California were a sovereign nation, it would be ranked as the world's fifth largest economy ahead of India and behind Germany. Very interesting. The fifth largest economy in the world. So California is big time. They fucking, I mean, they make a lot of money and then they just ruin it with all these stupid policies. Like California and New York are like the prime examples of that. It really doesn't get, you know, worse than that. But uh, I don't know if you heard about this. This was, kind of funny to me too uh you know we were talking about mexico right before and how you have all these californians leaving for mexico which is insane 
but there was actually something that was going on that was the inverse of that. Uh, so Doc Antle, remember him? Doc Antle from Tiger King, the Netflix show. He got caught uh, smuggling, allegedly. He was charged by federal prosecutors who were alleging that he was smuggling in Mexicans to the United States and he was laundering money. So that sounds like a cartel operation to me. I don't know about you, but Tiger King was good and I'm very familiar with this guy. He also was charged a while back for, I believe in 2020, he was charged with two felony counts related to wildlife tra trafficking and 13 additional misdemeanors after an investigation by the Attorney General of Virginia, it says. So this is the guy that, you know, he was like a pimp. This guy was balling out. He had like five wives or some shit like that. It was some crazy thing. And it wasn't uh, Jeff Lowe. Remember him, Jeff Lowe? He was the guy with like the bandana and the hat on or whatever. He was a wacko. He ended up taking over the GW Zoo when Joe Exotic went to jail. And they kind of like put him away. But uh, yeah, that was like this whole fucking crazy thing where that show was a clusterfuck, man. That was some wild shit. But yeah, on that same topic of the Mexican stuff, you know, I figured I'd bring up Doc Antle because it's a good throwback to like what was going on during COVID and what everyone was watching. So yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of people have been have been accused of uh, money laundering recently. Did you see that Peter Schiff? He was accused of uh, his Euro Pacific Bank, Euro Pacific Capital Bank was. Uh, accused of uh, laundering money for drug cartels and uh, for facilitating tax evasion. This came out in oh, uh, boy. 60 Minutes Australia. Oh, and I didn't hear that. Yeah, he, he's basically filing a uh, defamation lawsuit against this media company in Australia, uh, Fairfax Media. And they're basically, it's, they're basically, I don't know if they're related to 60 Minutes USA or whatever, or they just licensed the name. But yeah, they accused them of... Uh, facilitating money laundering and tax evasion and like he's he fully uh denies it and you know this is a problem because like a lot of people have have uh, dropped them a lot of other banks have dropped them before the, before this article came out he had uh like he did business with eight that eight thousand different depositors and helped and had 140 million dollars in deposits now um he's losing like a lot of money a lot of people have pulled out because in the financial industry even being accused of money laundering, a lot of people get scared. Their compliance uh, departments come in and, you know, his bank is really under a lot of uh, financial pressure now. And he's filing a defamation lawsuit to basically recoup some of the money that he lost from this. Uh, he says it's a fake article. I don't know how true it is that he was facilitating uh, money laundering. Yeah, that's crazy. Like we know where he stands with Bitcoin and how he feels about that in general. Like he's just a, you know, the biggest like adversary to Bitcoin, right? But the whole thing is that he constantly, um, you know, goes on these like weird tangents where he's like, oh my God, like if you listen to a show or you listen to interviews with him, it's like he has to bring up Bitcoin. And he's like, I hate it so much. Oh my God. It's just like, reminds me of um, like people who's like parents and like the twenties and thirties, like hated rock music. And then like the 50s and 60s kind of came around, right? And then like Woodstock and like people were like, oh, rock music's fucking awesome. And now it's just become like a normal thing. But it kind of reminds me of that. Like he's not hip to it. He's not in tune with it. But his whole thing, like he's always been like a contrarian. So I always felt like naturally he would have a lot of enemies um, because he's always just pointing out like 
the glaring inefficiencies in the system and he doesn't really go along with like that sort of mainstream narrative that like everything's okay and everyone has to hold hands and sing fucking kumbaya or whatever right so i always kind of looked at him a little bit differently than i would anyone else that would regularly go on cnbc and he said that they stopped having him on that show um i think it was like fast money or something like that right because mad money is kramer i think they have fast money um, and they used to interview him pretty regularly and he got into like arguments on there and people like laugh at him and shit and he like go back at him and it was pretty entertaining. You could find some good clips. You could also find some clips where it's like Peter Schiff was right, where he like basically predicts the collapse of the housing market. Um, you know, once default rates hit 8%, the bottom would just fall out, which is what he predicted. And of course it was true. Um, there were a lot of other people that predicted that as well, but he was, he was like, he's been very much, um, maligned. By like mainstream news so cnbc won't have him on anymore and then also factor in the prospect that he lives in puerto rico right and like a lot maybe a lot of people don't know about this but like the whole thing with puerto rico is that you know if you live there you're still an american but because it's a commonwealth um you relinquish the right to vote you have to live there for 183 calendar days and then you're not subjected to federal income tax and you instead you pay a four percent flat tax on all of your income uh, and then if you move there and you're an American, so let's say I have a five or $10 million investment portfolio and I'm getting ready to retire. So if I move to Puerto Rico and I live there for, I believe it's 10 years, maybe you know more about this, you can correct me. Um, but I think it's 10 years after living there for 10 years, um, all of your capital gains vest, and then you're not subjected to federal income tax upon, uh, selling any securities. So there's a lot of like tax benefits to living there. We saw John Paulson was the guy that kind of opened the floodgates to moving to Puerto Rico and John Paulson being the head of Paulson and company, the prestigious hedge fund, um, Peter Schiff did the same thing. And then that's also why Logan Paul did it. He did it because of the Floyd Mayweather fight where he made, I believe 25 million or 20 million. Um, so by moving to Puerto Rico and living there for half the year, he became a Puerto Rican resident didn't have to pay federal income tax and then move the fight itself to Florida where he wouldn't pay state income tax. So of that 20, 25 million, he paid out, you know, the promotion company paid out his manager. I'm sure they money went to the venue or to whatever. And then after all the fees to the, you know, the people that were on his team and the people he had to pay out for hosting the event, you know, whatever amount he had, he walked away with the full amount. So I would imagine it was probably like, 10 or 12 million, maybe he netted 14 million depends, you know, and then didn't pay any taxes. So there's definitely, I feel like with Peter Schiff, there's definitely an aspect where it's like, he's like openly advocating for people to move to Puerto Rico and businesses to move to Puerto Rico. So he's like kind of openly advocating for people to not pay taxes. Um, and like the last guy that did that, that comes to mind for me, who was like a pretty well-known figure is John McAfee. Like, if you remember, he, you know, before his death, he had videos where he's on a boat and he's like, I haven't paid tax. Like, remember when he ran to be the libertarian candidate during the 2016 election, I think it was? He basically said he was like, oh, I haven't paid taxes in like five years or whatever. He's like, I stopped paying taxes. And then the IRS was like, what? And then they kind of came after him. So it's like, I think that if you're in a situation where you have a voice and you have like a decent following... And you're like openly advocating for people to not pay taxes in like whatever legal way or illegal way in John McAfee's case. I think that they're going to spend resources to go after you. And I would not be surprised if 
you know, in that case of the 60 minutes Australian hit piece or, you know, article is just their way of like going after him through like some type of international body, especially if it's owned by the same 60 minutes that operates within the U.S. As we know, you know, there's a little bit of stuff going on there where, well, I'll leave it at this operation Mockingbird and stuff like that goes on. So I, I, I said my piece. I, I think that's fair to say. I'm curious what you think. Yeah, Australia has like uh, they have a lot of uh, tax loopholes. Their tax rate, I think, it's like it's ridiculous. If you if tax rates are around sixty percent, I think, but they have some of the like the best tax loopholes in in the world. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if the J five, which is basically like the Australian version of the IRS, is coming after his ass. But uh, I mean, yeah, Australia is basically you know their their regulatory body. Uh, the CFR is, is, you know, they're going, they're coming after him for, uh, for money laundering and they probably want to shut down his bank. I think it's because he's helping a lot of people basically avoid, uh, Australian taxes. I don't think he's doing anything illegal per se, but he's taking a lot of, uh, governmental revenue away from them. And, you know, I don't know if you saw this, but did you see, uh, Operation Atlantis? Do you see what happened there? Um, I did not. Okay, so Operation Atlantis is basically like kind of like uh, Australian's version of the Panama Papers. It's all of these like wealthy people in Australia that were basically caught basically evading taxes and, you know, uh, not paying their fair share per se. So it's, it's like think, think about like the Panama Papers, like how all these people were caught. I think like, uh, I don't know who was caught in the Panama Papers. There's all celebrities. Celebrities. I saw Putin. I yeah. saw um, Emma Watson was on there. Um, these are all like Messi, Ronaldo, all the big footballers. Yeah, a lot of people. These are these are all just like Australian celebrities that are caught caught up in this one. And you know, they they said that's how he was implicated in this money laundering scheme. He was caught through like uh, Operation Atlantis and that investigation. That's interesting too, because I don't know if you know this or a lot of people don't know this, but um, gold in particular never hits the banking system, so which means that it never is um, like given a serial number. So like there are gold bars that hit the market that are unaccounted for, right? Because no one really knows the true market cap of gold. I mean, when you look at Bitcoin and we mentioned this in the past, like about Bitcoin's valuation perspective, exactly. The best way to pass down wealth without inheritance taxes gold right because it can't be physically tracked that's why i said it doesn't hit the banking system at all so the whole thing is that you know you have gold um you're supposed to report the amount of gold you have but i mean it's not like there's someone that goes door to door to verify how much gold you have in your custody so it never hits the banking system and if you look at what he does he has Europack, right but what what's the other thing he's always pushing shift gold Oh, buy our shift gold. Buy our shift gold. Yeah, there's no uh, KYC for gold. I never seen any any KYC for gold. They, I think that they they might actually consider pushing that in the future. Like when you go to a jewelry stores or you might go to buy gold. I think eventually they're gonna have KYC for gold. They're gonna push that on on people. One hundred percent. And if you look at shift gold, like the price that they charge over spot spot being like the market rate, they charge a lot. Like it's very expensive compared to like Ampmax or and Ampmax is the American Precious Metals Exchange. Um, but when you look at any of these other like sites and they're very expensive Ampmax, like, but if you look at any place that sells gold 
and then you compare it to shift gold shift gold is very expensive so that might be you know i don't know what's going on there but he's charging a lot um i guess there's obviously a demand for it and people are buying it there but maybe he's directing customers from euro pack to say hey i sell gold like maybe you should buy gold or whatever and people are i don't want to get into this but maybe people are buying gold to like i don't know potentially or allegedly hide money like i don't know it just seems like that that's like a really foolproof there's, way there's definitely money from the banking system there's definitely like he's definitely a shady character i mean i usually tell like who the shady characters are he just looks like a shady character Peter sure yeah i think he uh i don't know he clearly is against bitcoin because it's a major competitor to shift gold and to his gold interests and his investments, but he's also the same guy that says you shouldn't have any equities. And if you listen to Peter Schiff, you would have made no money within the last, I don't know, 12 years, 13 years, you would have made nothing. So he's not the guy to listen to when it comes to that. You, like he might be right about a lot of different things. Like if you look at him when he talks about some macroeconomic factors and he's talking about how the unemployment numbers are fake, right? Because Americans, uh, well, the unemployment numbers are fake because it doesn't factor in people who just dropped out of the labor force, right? Like he commonly will talk about that. That's a legit thing, right? Like if you look at the data the Fed puts out, they constantly change the metrics. The inflation metric changed in the 80s, it changed in the 90s, and then it changed more recently in the 2010s. And if you look at the metrics from the 80s and 90s, it suggests 14 or 15% inflation. Um, you know, the ones from the 90s, like when you look at that data, um, people commonly, people who are sort of like contrarian macroeconomic analysts will cite like the 90s Fed model as like the most accurate. Um, it's also like when you look at job rates, uh, Americans are working more part time jobs than ever before. And another thing, too, is like when you look at the job creation rates, they'll say like, oh, we added 300,000 new jobs or whatever. OK, but what happens is. Let's say there's someone working one full-time position at 40 hours a week, and then that person is you know, laid off because the employer doesn't want to pay medical coverage or pay any sort of insurance for employing this guy at 40 hours a week, and he instead replaces that guy with, I don't know, let's say uh, two people working 20 hours a week part-time. The way that they classify the job creation is they say that a, a job was created because two people are employed as opposed to one even though the output is still the same. So if you actually look at productivity in that respect, productivity has been stagnant because you're just displacing people from working more full-time jobs and replacing them with part-timers. And it's this whole weird thing going on. And then, you know, that's how you end up in a situation with Americans working more, more part-time jobs than ever before because employers don't want to pay into medical. They don't want to pay into insurance and, and you know, all this other stuff that comes with employing someone full-time. So it's just this whole thing's a total mess, and he's been right about that. Like, but you know, like you said, there's a lot more going on there, and there's a reason he's very critical of some things going on. He might have a point, but look at it. Follow the money, right? If he's saying the market's going to collapse tomorrow, his his pitch is this: the market's going to collapse tomorrow, and you're going to lose everything. What's his solution? Well, the or his call to action in this case, his call to action is: oh, buy gold. Well, where do I buy gold? Oh, I can buy gold at shiftgold.com or whatever the fucking website is. Like he's just a, he's a salesman. He's a salesman, 100%.
It's like Alex Jones coming out and being like, ah, they're putting shit in the water. And then you're like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. And then he goes, ah, well, you can go on down to my website and you can buy a water filter for $2,000 or whatever the fuck it is. He's a salesman. That's it. Like, <laughs> he's trying to sell you something. And if you're not aware and you're not paying attention, you're not going to know. And that's just what it is. Yeah, that, that's completely correct. He, he is, uh, he's been shilling gold for, for the longest time. He's been saying that we're going to have a market collapse, you know, probably since the day he came out of the womb. He's been saying, oh, the market's going to collapse, the market's going to collapse. And, you know, people that say that, eventually they're correct. And, you know, he's going to be correct th this year when the, uh, the market collapses. But, you know, he lost a lot of money if you weren't in the market the past uh, five, six, seven years. So, you know, his time frames, his time horizons are all, are all off. And yeah, you're right. He's he's pushing the market. He's pushing like this, like recessionary uh, fears because they're going to go to him and then they're going to pay exorbitant uh, rates above spot for gold. And they're going to get ripped off, you know. And, and if you look at gold since the 1970s, you know, you you have a negative return. It's, it's like returned about 1% a year. If you bought gold since uh, 1970 and you held it till today, you basically have a 1% return. So, you know, you lost money. You lost uh, money totally to inflation. Agree. Totally agree. Yeah. You got to buy and, real assets. Yeah. And on that same note of like people being investigated and governments kind of going after people. Uh, so there were a bunch of new headlines that came out from the SEC. Gary Gensler, your buddy, was really busy. I guess he decided to go to work this week, right? putting his 40 hours like the rest of us. But uh, Gary Gensler, your buddy. So here's a big headline that came out. The SEC is considering routing individual brokerage account trades to auctions. That'll be very interesting to see if that happens. Um, I don't know what the ramifications of that are going to be, but I'm very surprised that this is becoming like a hot-button issue and it's commonly being spoken about now. Um, so what, what do you think would happen if, you know, individual trades from uh retail brokerage accounts go to auction i mean i don't really know how that would work in, in this uh in this marketplace if things just went to auction and it, it, would there be enough liquidity and how long would it take that's for my concern to exactly that's my concern because right now it's t plus two to settle that's the transaction date plus two unless you're buying uh government issued securities like t bills t bonds t notes or munis, those are uh, T1, uh, you know, transaction date plus one. So I'm curious as well, uh, is this going to affect the settlement horizon? How is this going to affect the economy? Is this going to affect the time in which orders are filled, right? Or, you know, certain things are exercised like uh, stop losses and trailing stops and buy limits. And like, how is that going to affect everything? I'm not sure. Um, so we'll keep you posted on that and we'll see what else. I mean, a lot of people have been complaining about like, you know, payment for order flow. But to, if you look at it, it's really the best method to uh, conduct trades and have them settle. And if you, and you, you saw, like, if you look at Gary Gensler's statement, he said all that he's looking into this auction process, blah, 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 blah. But then at the end, you know, that he gives his real uh, motive of what he's going to do. He says, but I'm wary of changing, uh, changing anything because of how, uh, like how a uh, good uh, payment for order flow has been towards the retail consumer. So you give like, so I think it's like more politically uh, political uh, agenda that he gave like that statement to satisfy people. But then if you look at like his last statement, when he was talking, he basically gave what he truly thought. 
Yeah, and then another thing that happened too, which was kind of fucking funny, was the uh, the whole ESG thing. Remember, we were talking about this last time, and we mentioned how there were a few banks, right? Banks in particular were kind of playing the whole shenanigans game, and some of these hedge funds that were being started were playing this shenanigan game of like, oh, well, we're an ESG fund, so now the SEC is investigating Goldman Sachs, of course, I mean... Oh, Goldman Sachs, they would never, right? They would never do anything wrong. I mean, of course, they're doing wrong again. Come on. We we actually brought up the Malaysian fund, the 1MDB fund that was being used to launder money uh, and embezzle funds from Malaysia. And that was uh, Goldman Sachs, of course, behind that. Uh, you know, that's just a place. I mean, they're like Wells Fargo. Like we spoke about Wells they're just two institutions that will go to any extent to just defraud the public, to steal money, embezzle funds, and just fuck everyone over. And to be really honest, I'm not surprised that they're involved in some type of ESG scandal and they're being investigated, rightly so. Uh, so then the other point I wanted to make is that we spoke about Terra and USD, or excuse me, Terra USD, Terra Luna, um, and that was Dumquan, our buddy. Now, they're being investigated by the SEC to determine whether or not they violated investor protection regulations. That's going to be interesting to see because is there a reciprocity where Do Kwon, being a South Korean citizen, could be charged in the U.S.? Would they extradite him? I believe so. I'm not too privy to the extradition laws, right? And I don't know if you are, but I would think that they probably would extradite him given the... Um, alliance that the two countries have and the situation going on there well of course they will extradite them if they piss off the u.s they don't want to piss off the u.s because their north korean body will take over their country so you know they have to satisfy the u.s commands if u.s pushes for it and they really want it they, they'll extradite them right away you know they'll put them on a civil platter yeah and on that same note of like crypto scams and stuff going on with that we also spoke about seth green and the whole situation with him with the board ape nft show right that was going on and we, i brought up how it was stolen was there any new headlines or new revelations about that um you know did we get any word about that whole situation and what transpired there did they kind of get to the bottom of it oh we got the word we got the word back i, I you know i contacted a couple of my associates we, we we got the word and you know last week i said how this was whole this was a whole marketing gimmick to promote the movie and boy was i right i have to say i was right once again you know i'm very rarely wrong and you know i was right once again this was a marketing gimmick to promote the movie and he recovered his he magically recovered his body one week later and you know it made the news about how he lost his body he was hacked and all this and now the movie is probably going to do record sales from this marketing gimmick and, you know, I knew it was a marketing gimmick once I saw that Gary Vee was involved, the marketing guru, the marketing genius. Yeah, it's funny because I actually think I also said, you know, what's to stop him from sending it to like a burner wallet and being like, oh, it was stolen. Da, da, da. And then like no one knows that that's his like burner wallet. Right. And then all of a sudden it just magically reappears back. Like, come on, there's no way. There's no fucking way. So he obviously just moved it from one wallet to a burner and then now he's good so i mean you know that's like very obvious but anyway i know jack dorsey was heavily involved in that nft space as well right like he's kind of um he's been like a big proponent of nfts and some of the emerging technologies with that 
And I think that he's also been into like the board apes and stuff like that too, right? Yeah. Jack Dorsey is a uh, big proponent of NFTs, big proponent of blockchain technology. And, you know, he, Jack Dorsey is a person, he believes that education is power. He's a big proponent of uh, educating the youth and educating the public. And he partners up, he partnered up with uh, Jay-Z and he launched a, uh, basically a Bitcoin Academy for uh, people that live in Brooklyn. And their mission is basically to empower, provide education to the youth so that they're able to uh, understand Bitcoin, understand uh, its technology and potential Both from uh, demographics that tip that are typically wouldn't uh, understand this and that aren't and undereducated. He's basically explaining the uh, massive benefits that Bitcoin would provide to them. Yeah, blo yeah blockchain uh, technologies is such like a interesting thing and I love it. I love the encryption. Um, I love that you're able to share, you know, sensitive and private data, um, you know, from one party to another without the risk of any potential third party, um, you know, getting in there and kind of muddying the waters and, you know, seizing control of that information, right? So in the case of, we spoke about this before too, which was really cool about, and it's really, it really is a great example, but like how, you know, you go to one doctor, right? And you have a general physician and you do a checkup and, you know, maybe you do something in that respect. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have problems and you have to go see a cardiologist or go see a, a surgeon or whoever that general physician can then transfer your records to a surgeon or a cardiologist very quickly. And it will be so encrypted that you don't have to worry about any potential third party accessing your files or seeing anything like that. Um, so I love the ability to do that. I think that that's really cool how you can just seamlessly share files with one another without potentially putting yourself at risk and, you know, putting your family's uh, information at risk. Um, and I think that's really important. I think in today's day and age, like privacy is very important given the uh, technological advancements and the sort of the invasions of privacies that have come with that. Um, and I think that I like this whole shift towards blockchain technologies where you know, people are starting to realize that their digital footprint is a lot larger than they initially thought. And, you know, in that respect, there's a lot of compromising of personal information and private information that comes with it. Well, I mean, I'll tell you this, I work at a bank, I, you know, health information is not really private. These banks, they buy during COVID, they were buying uh, health information to evaluate uh, the COVID crisis. They had uh, health information at hand. I don't know if, if they bought it, uh, they bought it through like willing participants, but you know, they definitely had uh healthcare information at their disposal. Yeah. And I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of careers that were created, you know, in this process of selling data and selling information, like data brokers are a real thing. Like data brokerage houses are a real thing where they literally just exist to collect data on people and to mine data and then sell the information to third parties. I mean, you have websites like open corporate, right. And uh, open secret, Open Secret, I think, is the one that tells you, like, if you look up an individual, you can see who their political contributions were to. Uh, and then Open Corporate is for any sort of corporation. You could see people on the board that donated to certain political figures and whatever and certain political causes and campaigns. Right. So the whole thing is that, you know, these are things that are supposed to be secret. These are, um, you know, major decisions. You could kind of tell what someone's personal values are based on who they make a political contribution to, um, evidently. So, you know, these are things that are meant to be kind of private and they end up getting out into the public some way or another. And 
in my opinion in particular, it's usually through the use of data brokers and things like that. And to actually go through the process to be taken off the list of data brokers and to be taken off of that is is very arduous. Um, you know, you need attorneys, you need lawyers, you need people to kind of like go to bat for you, uh, for lack of a better term, and to kind of say to those data brokers and data miners like, hey, if you don't, you, you kind of get like a cease and desist type of thing going where the attorney will say like, hey, you need to stop posting this information about my client. Otherwise, we're going to sue you into a fucking oblivion or whatever. And you have to use like scare tactics to kind of get them to stop doing that. But the average person is not going to pay an attorney, you know, $1,000. They write a fucking letter or $700 to write a letter to come up with that or to sign off on that. So, but that's just something that a lot of people do to get out of that situation. But yeah, I mean, banks, they're, you know, one of the largest violators of, um, you know, buying personal information that's been private. Uh, other medical institutions, for sure. Um, insurance companies, people forget about them. They also buy a lot of that information. And, uh, you know, more specifically, like social media companies, of course, and advertising agencies, right? Like if they know that, you know, you have problems with your teeth or whatever, you're going to get served ads for things that will direct you towards getting treatment to help your teeth or, you know, maybe getting uh, braces or getting like, some type of cosmetic treatment for your teeth. So it, it's just a pretty shady system and it just suck, it just sucks that it works that way. Well, money money uh, is the root of all incentives. And you know, there's a lot of money at stake to see like how to see what's going on with people's health. Is COVID spreading rapidly? Is is it in decline? You know, and these banks they're trillion they're managing trillions and trillions of dollars of assets. So they gotta make sure they know what's going on, so they they they're gonna buy the data, and that's it. And there's nothing you can do to stop them. But well, there are steps that you can take, um, and I think a major thing is kind of focus on minimizing your digital footprint, trying to remain uh, in a sense of anonymity is pretty important. Um, try to be more conscious of like what websites you're using and what services you're using and, you know, how they're using your data. Um, and I think you can, I think it's very much impossible to be a ghost on the internet. Um, but I think there are ways to like minimize your footprint and to kind of put yourself in a position where it's very tough to find out what's going on. Um, I think that we've become a little too comfortable and a little too accustomed as a society, really Western society. That is, um, we've become too comfortable in like, willingly sharing information and oversharing information on social media. And I think people need to kind of get away from that. Um, but it's actually pretty funny because we did talk about people going away and people traveling and, you know, oversharing information in that respect. And, uh, you know, what comes with that is people staying at hotels. And you told me this one thing offline and it was so funny with the hotels, like, you gotta you gotta tell it here it was with the robots and everything and this whole robot rollout and it's gonna be funny to see that happen and see what people think of that especially as it you know initially comes into play well you know the pandemic it's caused a lot of uh companies to basically innovate and you know try try and look to cut costs and make up the money that they lost so these hotels are looking into uh developing these robots to, to basically anytime somebody calls the front desk instead of having someone go up to the room and, you know, deliver them whatever they need, like say uh, toilet paper, uh, 
shampoo, conditioner, or anything like that. I don't think it can bring up cots or anything like that yet. It's too heavy, but basically the small stuff like the toiletries and stuff like that, they're going to have these, these robots go up to the room and, you know, deliver these goods, which is going to cut, it's going to lower their overhead and, and you know, allow them to be, be more profitable. But even so, even with these like uh, cut costs, you know, there was an article, I think in the Wall Street Journal, that said hotel uh, hotel rates are like rising rapidly, so they're cutting costs and and they're still increasing uh, their prices to stay at a hotel. So yeah, we're we're in a high high inflationary environment, and a lot of, a lot of these companies are are uh, cutting costs. So you know we should see some good earnings in the hotel sector if demand doesn't wane. But I think we're going to see uh, massive demand wane over the coming months. You know who became a big time shareholder in hotels recently, right? Or relatively recently. Do you know? Who Warren Buffett? Bill Gates. Good guess though. Warren Buffett, close friend of Bill Gates. It was Bill Gates and it was through um Cascade Investments. That's who we spoke about with uh I believe it was Michael Larson, who was the fund manager there. Um so that's Bill Gates's um family office for those of you who don't know, Cascade Investments. Uh Larson was also the guy that suggested that Bill Gates buy up Bill Gates buys up like all this farmland and um, you know, middle America. Uh, so he basically has, uh, Bill Gates basically has a monopoly on farmland too, which is kind of scary. But uh, he also made it a point to say that he thinks that people need to move away from meat and they need to eat this soy shit. Well, and, you know what uh, he's doing that, right? That's why he buys the farmland and then he forces people to move to soy. He, he artificially cuts back on the food supply and then people have to move to soy and, you know, meet his motive for people, all people going vegan. Absolutely. Yeah. It just seems that he's looking to um, socially engineer society towards what he wants and everything that comes with that. And he's not really giving people the freedom to do what they want. But we obviously believe in, uh, you know, letting people expressing their individuality and making decisions on their own volition. Yeah, that's right. You know, the world's never going to go. We're never going to have a fully vegan world. And all these people, they got it come to grips with that and they have to stop stop acting like oh you kill the animals it's inhumane now fuck that you know this is a dorky doll world and we we do what we have to do if you went up to a lion the lion wouldn't second guess killing you so don't don't worry about killing these animals and you know eating them for food you, you, these animals will kill you in a second i i think a main thing that a lot of people forget is that um first of all meat has a lot of essential nu nutrients that we need uh to develop and important for brain function, omega-3, right? You know, some of the B12, B6, uh, some of the tougher nutrients to get through plants, um, unless you're eating certain plants every day, in which case, you know, you really don't have a well-balanced diet. Um, but you need meat. Meat is very essential. Um, another thing, too, to be considered is that people don't really look at the situation for what it is, and they kind of look at it as like, oh, my God, you're eating meat. Like, you're killing animals. This is terrible. But really, if you're not contributing to the production and the mistreatment of animals in factory farms, you're doing it right. You know, if you have something like a cow, I, I talk about this extensively uh, offline, but like a cow, you want grass fed and grass finished beef because it's higher in omega three, which is healthier for you and lower in omega six, which is bad for you. Um so very high omega-3 content is what you want. You'll feel much more full. Meat will be a little bit more tender. It'll be more delicious because it's what humans have evolved eating. Uh, you know, 
eating meat from a from an animal that is grazed off of naturally occurring and grown grass with no pesticides and no bullshit in there and whatever. But I think that people confuse. Um, I think they kind of conflate suffering and death a lot. Like in a factory farm, it is kind of fucked up what they do to cows and how they like kind of squish them in. Uh, and they do the same thing with chickens as well. But I don't think you have to support that system because for like certain grass fed beef, grass fed and grass finished um, beef brands, like you could buy an alternative that's only like a dollar or two more than like corn fed. And the corn fed ones are usually the ones that are, you know, through factory farms. So for like a dollar or two more, you could just buy something that's naturally or more naturally occurring, healthier for you. And it's just like more humane. If, if you're concerned about the humanity and the treatment of, uh, you know, animals in that environment. But as far as I'm concerned, as long as something doesn't suffer when it's killed, I think it's fine. And I think it's totally fine. Like if you go hunting, they tell you, here's where you aim. Like you don't want the thing to suffer, right? Like you, you want to take it out in one shot. So I think it's kind of the same thing there. As long as the thing doesn't suffer, you're good. As far as, far as I'm concerned, right? You know, I'm not really worried, too worried about that. You know, you think when a crocodile eats a, eats a uh, kid in Florida or when a lion, you know, tears someone's head off, you think they're concerned about the humanity of it? No. Uh, you know, I, I care about uh, my own species, uh, you know, my fellow humans more than I do, say, a different species, you know. And I'm completely okay with saying that, you know. I don't really care too much about uh, worrying about the humanity of things. And I, I wouldn't be willing to spend, you know, 2 3 $4 extra on uh vegan meat and i think these uh these veganites as i like to call i don't know if that's a word but i just made it up i think they need to come to uh a solution that's basically uh comparable or cheaper than the alternative if they want to get people to uh, convert they're not going to get people to pay more for these goods they need to basically have them the same price or be less than uh its alternative otherwise they're not going to get the conversion that they want yeah and vegan stuff isn't healthier like, like I said, the vegan stuff is, if you actually look at it as a spectrum, you have all the corn-fed stuff. Like, I'm, I'm going to use beef, for example, right? Like, you're going to have steak. All the beef stuff is all the way on the left, the corn-fed. Then you have grass-fed, slightly more than the corn-fed, but, like, infinitely healthier, right? Which is, like I said, a dollar or two more. A lot of people like myself, they don't really mind the dollar or two more because it's like an investment in your health, and it's going to give you more nutrients, which, in theory, will give you more energy. It'll make you more productive and it will help your endocrine system and your um, uh, the whole phospholipid bilayer system. And it's going to keep you out of the hospital and it's going to prevent you from getting sick. So it's more or less like a dollar or two more per you know meal you have with or per you know servings, right? Like you do the math, but it's like a little bit more and it's more or less like an investment in better quality food, which is good for your health. Then the vegan shit is all the way on the right end of the spectrum, and it's like ten or fifteen dollars more, and like a quarter of the portion size, and it tastes like shit. It's not good, and you'll develop a host of different nutrient deficiencies because you're thinking, "Oh my god, I'm not eating meat. Like we don't have to eat meat anymore." But then you have an iron immune deficiency, you have B12 deficiency, you have omega three deficiency. And you have B6 deficiency and you look pale, you look ghastly, you look sick, and you look like you've lived in, I don't know, 
the North Pole for like a year. <laughs> so it's just funny. All right. Um, I guess that will do it for today's episode of uh, the Anonymous Investors Podcast. You know, that's it, buddy. Close it off. Yep. Thanks for coming out. Peace out. Subscribe, subscribe. The mother is a hoe. The mother is a slut.